0: And now,
1: weighing in, out of the blue
0: corner, Josh The the
1: Thompson. 100%. And on the other mic, he weighs in, in. from the red corner, Big John McCarthy nice.
0: Well, hello, everyone. This is the fan question and answer segment. We are here to talk to you basically personally, answering your questions if we can. Sometimes we're going to try to throw a couple in there to Josh to just throw him off course, see if he cannot answer. Well, he answers everything most of the time.
1: All right, well, hey, let's get into these fan questions because I know that people have been chewing us up on Twitter, chewing us up on our comment sections and our YouTube channel, and as well as into our Clips channel as well. So make sure you guys go to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button. If you guys haven't already done that, if you guys are enjoying our content, please do us a favor. Hit the subscribe button, man. Come on, let's go. And the little bell that'll tell you when we're dropping more shows because this show specifically is a bonus show that we're doing for you guys. We're gonna try and do it as often as possible. I know I put my foot in my mouth the other day and said it would try to be an every week thing, but let's oh. hold up because John and I do a lot of traveling this next two months. And I'm thinking to myself, we're gonna need some time, man. So it's gonna be hard and difficult, but we're gonna try and deliver the best we can for the fans as long as you guys hit the subscribe button. I wanna see that number grow. Also, there's a link down below for our Clips channel. Hit the subscribe button there as well and the notifications there because Wayne Interjection is dropping during the week as well. We don't know when it's going to drop, so that's why you hit the bell and you hit the subscribe button. All right, John uh, John, and podcast Dave, let's get into it.
2: Let's go. All right, all right. Let's get question number one from Jeff Weary, who asks, is there a way that a fight could continue after the clash of heads? Had Mergliata stopped the fight right when it happened and, af- and after gave Holland time to continue, could he? Is a head clash like a nut shot where you get five minutes to recover, or does it automatically have to mean the fight ends if it goes to review?
0: No, it does not mean the fight out automatically is over. If you stop the fight based upon the clash of heads to check the fighters, be it one shows you know damage and one doesn't, it could be that both are still damaged. You're going to do the exact same thing as that nut shot. You're going to you know stop the action, call time, put them both to their corners, but this time instead of just paying attention to one, you're going to actually go and pay attention to both. You're going to bring a ringside physician in, And as long as the ringside physician says that they're okay to go on and it's within that five-minute period, then the fight can be restarted. If it goes outside of the five-minute period with someone not being able to function correctly, then the fight would be called at that time. But yes, the fight can definitely go on based upon a clash of heads.
1: Now, okay, so based upon the clash of heads, now if one fighter... You're saying that he gets the full five minutes. I thought that the, the groin shot was the only one that got the full five minutes.
0: No. Again, you, you're making the mistake of the five minutes is universal for all fouls, but got it's it. who controls the five minutes. When you're talking about a groin shot, that five minutes is under the control of the fighter. The referee does not have the ability to say, hey, you look good. We're, I'm going to start the fight without the fighter saying, I'm good to go. So the fighter... Gets, you know, hit with the groin shot. The referee calls time, stops the action. And the ref you know, the referee standing there says, are you good? And the fighter says, nope. Referee can't say, okay, you got to start. He says, okay. And he'll, he'll take your time. And then the, you know, the fighter starts doing push-ups. Okay, so you're ready to go. Nope, not ready to go yet. The fighter's in control of the time. So if he goes all the way to four minutes and 59 seconds and says, I'm ready to go, well, if we can get a started in one second, yeah, he can go. But when it comes to every other foul, eye pokes, you know, knees to the head of a grounded opponent, you know, any of those things, the referee in consultation with the ringside physician is the one controlling it. Now, when we say controlling it, the problem is once the ringside physician says the fighter can continue, the referee is supposed to immediately start the fight and get it going again. So what the referee of many times will do is he'll try to, what we say is manipulate time and give time to the fighter. That's why if someone gets an eye poke, you'll see the referee saying, Hey, go ahead and try to clear out your eye before he's calling in the ringside physician. Cause he's trying to give time to the fighter because as soon as the ringside physician gets involved and then he says, yeah, he can go. You're supposed to now immediately start the fight. So, We'll buy time. We'll make time. We'll make excuses on wasting time so the fighter can recover. And if you know, sometimes you know, I've used close to five minutes of time on an eye poke because I want the guy to be able to see. I don't want him to come back in a diminished capacity. Same thing for the head clash. I had, you know, Molloy versus Seth Petroselli is the perfect example of. There's a head clash. There's a there's a referee that stops the action, puts them both to their corners. The ringside physician checks, you know. Mo wasn't hurt. Seth was definitely hurt by it. Check Seth says he can go. And then later on in the fight, he got knocked out badly. And maybe it was based upon that head clash that happened earlier in the fight.
1: Yeah, because that kind of, so like you said, you'll kind of manipulate the time. So when the guy, when the guy gets headbutted, you'll say, okay, hey, go ahead and take some time. Just, you know, get your wits back about you, whatever it is, kind of walk by them, check on them, make sure they're not feeling yep. dizzy or faint or they're stumbling. And then eventually when you're saying, hey. I'm going to bring the doctor in, get ready, because you're going to potentially have to fight here real soon. Once the doctor comes in and looks at you, which will take about 20, 30 seconds, okay, it's time to fight. As soon as the doctor walks away and gets out of the cage, it's fight time. Yep. If he says yes. That's exactly it. That kind of sucks, because in that situation where um, Kevin Holland got dropped, he would need a little bit more time than Dacus would need.
0: Yes, but this is where if you're a smart referee... You sit there and the first person you're going to go to is Kevin Holland. And you're going to say, hey, I want you to take some time. Collect yourself. Tell me if you're feeling anything that's bad. Tell me if you're feeling okay. I just want you to take some time right now, okay? And you're going to actually stand there with him. And then you're going to eventually say, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, he's going to say, ah, I'm doing okay. Okay, just stay right here. And I'm now going to go over to Docus And the reason that I'm doing all of that is to give Kevin Holland more time. God. And then I'll go to DoCus and I'll ask him, hey, are you were you hurt in any fashion? Did you feel? Just talk to him. I'll make questions up. And then I'll go and say, let me have the ringside physician come in here. And now I'm going to take more time with the ringside physician and I'm going to take the ringside physician to both fighters, right? Because it's just more and more time because I'm trying to gain time for Kevin Holland. So he gets, you know, as clear as he can be by the time we have
1: to restart the fight got it good stuff
2: next next question from daryl Meade. asked question for both what do you foresee being the first title to switch hands in 2022 light heavyweight is getting very interesting with jones gone heavyweight now has two title holders and lightweight and bantamweight being on fire right now
1: (sighs) Uh, this sounds like they're talking about just the UFC, but I really believe that the bantamweight title is the one that changes hands right away. As soon as um, it's already going to change hands. They're going to be an interim title here shortly. There's an interim title, <clears throat> yeah. So really, is, that, I, I is really, that changing hands? Well, it's getting it's getting back into the rightful owner's hands. So <laughs> I think Peter Yawn is going to be the champ again. I, I think Corey Sandhagen's tough as hell. I just think stylistically he he's he's a he's a ta- not a tailor made. He's a tough matchup for Peter Yawn, but if Peter Yawn gets that takedown and he gets on top of him like he did with Jose Aldo, he's got some, he's got some of the nastiest ground up pound I think I've ever seen. For, for such a small guy, he's got some heavy, heavy hands. The done. way he boxes, the way he moves his head offline, the way he, if he touches, if he touches Sanhagen, you know, and rips the body a little bit as well as mixing it up. I mean, in the clinch and in the wrestling, there's no doubt he's the better wrestler than Sanhagen. Whew. <sighs> It's going to be a tough fight for Corey. I'm not saying Corey can't get it done, but I think, Corey, I think Corey's got his hands full. On top of that, I think when he does fight Aljo again, I mean, Aljo already came out and said, he's like, yeah, he was beating my ass. I mean, that, that doesn't give you a lot of confidence coming back. Aljo said that? With yeah. yeah when did he say that? He just, we, did, we just talked about it, I think, on the last show. Yeah, said he said that uh, because that's when we talked about him doing the interim title. The article was the headline said, yeah, he was beating my ass for whatever two rounds or ten minutes or whatever, yeah,
2: yeah he did. I'm trying to find out. Yeah, we never, did saw, say. That. never yeah, saw
1: that. Yeah, that was on our. We talked about it on our last one. Maybe you missed that part, but we were talking about the interim title as well and, and Sanhagen stepping in. <clears throat> but yeah, it was a. That doesn't bode well for his confidence and him going back in there to fight him, you know. And so I think I think that's going to be the title that switches back into into Peter Yawn's hands. So. What about you? Anybody else?
0: I'm going to I'm going to say exactly what you said as far as the bantamweight in that obviously uh, is that one's going to be in flux for a little bit. And you know, you talk about they talk about the light heavyweight in the UFC. I'm telling you right now, I only see one person right now that I really look at as someone that has the ability to take the title from Blahovich at this moment. You know, John Jones not being there so he's out. Yuri Poriska, he's yeah. He's awkward, he's strange, he's tough, he's durable. He could be that guy that could get that title. But other than him in the light heavyweights, who do you see that could take the title from Jan?
1: Well, I mean, Santos has already knocked him out. Yeah. You know, I mean, but the thing is, Santos is not the same fighter he was when they fought the first time. Okay, and that's what I was going to... And and I want to touch on the Santos thing real quick because we talked about Santos not having power backing up, but I want you, I want to remind you guys, there's, oh, he knocked out Jan backing up. Yeah. Jan was also running forward, forward. right into the punch. There's that, there's a difference between that and then the way that Chuck Liddell did it. Chuck would take two steps back and then throw and counter and knock you out. There's a difference between that and the guy running in and getting knocked out. There's, there's a difference in those type of, those type of exchanges. So I just wanted to clear that up because we got. I guess we well,
0: rackick and... <laughs> would be one that he, he's got a. Yeah. He's good. He's got a good possibility, but I do style wise. I don't know. But right now, Jan, Jan's fighting well. Yeah. I mean, he's very basic in what he does. He's got a solid ground game. He's got good boxing. He's got good power. You know, I, I think he's come into his own and he's feeling very good where he's at. I think he's a great champion right now. So.
1: Yeah, know. it's gonna be. I think. I think he'll. I think Yuri though's got a good chance of beating them I think out of all of them, I would agree with you. Yuri's the guy. Yeah. And, up there as well. Those are the two. Those are the two guys that I could see yeah. potentially getting to him. But I would say Yuri more so.
2: <clears throat> Just to be clear, my guy Colby, um, after he wins the title from Wiseman, he will not lose it next year. So don't worry about that wait class. <laughs> all right. Gosh. Next question Jeez. bro <laughs> Next question from It's just Meng embarrassing. Chi.
1: It's a, I can't believe he's our producer,
2: John. I can't believe it. Gosh, all right. All right, next one from uh, Hong Chi Lee. He asks, uh, for Josh, what was the aha moment when you knew you were going to be a great fighter? Was it because you were long and lanky? <laughs> um, you
1: know, there was no aha moment. I think when I knew I was going to be a good fighter was the, the Hermes Franca fight. That was the fight that just... It let me know that I was a real fighter, it let me know that I could I could take damage. It let me know that I could dish out damage and that I was universal. He was a black belt, I was still a white belt, I believe, at the time. And I was in his guard for a lot of that fight, doing work, doing damage, ground and pound. You know, I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot of good things at the time and I still hadn't trained with some of the best jiu-jitsu guys yet. Sure, I had trained with Frank Shamrock, but for the Hermes Franca fight, and the Gerald Striebe fight, I had just started training with Dave Camarillo, who was one of the best jiu-jitsu guys at the time in the world. And so he had helped me a lot throughout my career. So when I fought Hermes, I was ready for that fight in terms of jiu-jitsu. And there wasn't anything that Hermes was
2: going to do to me on the ground. And so that fight to me was an eye-opening experience to me. And so for Big John, he asks, what moment was it that made you fall in love with combat sports?
0: Oh, man, you can't go back that far. <laughs> That's really, a- <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my dad made me. Uh, he made me love boxing when I was a kid, and he started me off boxing young and stuff. But I mean, when I was uh, a very young, young person, six years of age, my dad started taking me, and he would take me every month at least. There's a place in Los Angeles called the Olympic Auditorium. It was made for the uh, 1932 Olympics, and uh, it's it was a cool place. It was just this pit that you know the boxing ring would go in there and and i got to see some of the greats of you know boxing at the time especially when it came to lot you know fighters coming out of mexico and la and i saw guys you know a lot of people i'll say their names now people aren't going to you know know who i'm talking about but guys there's a guy named Danny Little Red Lopez who was just a tough bastard became world champion Bobby Chacon Sugar Ray Ramos all these people oh. that were just unbelievable. And I was I was able to see them and stuff. And so you know, my dad made me a huge combat sports fan back then with boxing and then got me into wrestling. And I was just lucky enough to be a part of uh, you know it to a certain point in my life. And then it was gone. And then all of a sudden I met these guys called the Gracies and it kind of came back and changed my life around. So I've been very lucky with uh, what I've been able to do in combat sports.
2: Next, next question from Brett Kegel. Question for both: What current Bellator champions or contenders would win give trouble to UFC belt holders in their respective weight class? For example, I think that Phil Davis and Nemkov would give Yam Blahovic uh, an extremely tough fight. Yeah, John, we've talked about
1: this. I, look, I think Yaroslav Amasov gives um, gives Usman a tough go. Oh yeah, everybody, and I know people are gonna sit here and, and say, Usman "Blah blah a blah." Stud, he's a stud, and I'm not. Yeah. I, and I, I've come out openly and said, like, I'm not gonna go against Usman anymore. But for someone who's 26 and 0, and who's battle tested as Amasof is, and as well as Usman is as well. Yes. But when you match them up, you take you take what I hear from people in terms of the wrestling aspect. Logan Storley out wrestles Usman in the match. I mean, in, in the in the practice room, yeah. it comes to wrestling. That fight with Amasov and Storley was just a great wrestling match. But there was a lot of exchanges where Amasov out-wrestled him, which shouldn't have happened since the guy had never wrestled, really, until he started fighting. And so when I'm having these conversations, the wrestling, the submissions, and on the feet, he maybe doesn't look like much on the feet, but he throws punches and bunches, and he delivers them, and he's, he's pretty accurate with them, and he's got power. It doesn't look like he has power, but when he touches you, it makes you start wanting to shoot. It makes you back up. And when you throw your combinations in twos and threes, I think Amosov gives Usman a tough go. Now, I'm not saying he beats him. That's not what I'm saying. I'm nope. saying that I think he gives him a tough fight. I think he probably gives him a tougher fight than anybody else that's in the UFC right now in that weight class of the top five.
0: I would tell you, and I'm going to break it down as quick as I can quickly. If you're going to talk about you know matching up, 135s in in the UFC are fantastic, and they're fantastic in Bellator. But if you're going to take the, you know, there's a couple of fighters in the 145 uh, in Bellator. That would be interesting to see them matched up against the top people. And Volkanovski, I think, is fantastic, but it would be an interesting fight to see between him and AJ McKee. If you're going to take a look exactly what you say with Usman and Amazov, uh, Gegard Mousasi is just a stud. And I'm not saying that, He's going to beat Adesanya right now, but trust me, it would be a great fight. And if it went to the ground, he would definitely beat him. So it really just depends on where the fight t- took place. You know, Adesanya, although Gegard, you know, has done a ton of kickboxing his life. Adesanya's been a wor- world champion. He's a stud. And then, like you're saying, I think Nemkov uh, and Blahovich, like the, the viewer says, you know, that would be a really great fight. I'm not going to say who would win, but it would be a great fight.
1: No, I agree. Yeah, I think that's a fight to be had right there. Yep. You know, um, <clears throat> I think the former heavyweight champ also uh, for Bellator was Minikov. and the reason why oh, he yeah. wasn't the champ anymore is because he, had, I guess, apparently he is. He's got a he's got
0: visa problems.
1: He's got visa problems. You know, um, something to do with the with the government situation. I think something to do. I think apparently with his work or something like that. So yeah, I think don't know he's got a means.
0: government job, and for some reason, the United <laughs> the States, US, the it's like. The U S oh, is no. like, no, you're not, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not.
1: So regardless of that, anyways. <laughs> uh, but I, I think like him, like Ryan Bader, I think he's better at heavyweight than he is, but I don't know if he can beat. I don't think he can take down or he can beat Um, Gano, you know? And if he was to fight John no. Jones, that wouldn't be no. a good fight for him. But I would say someone like a Minikov who's big, he's like six, five, six, six.
0: minnikoff would look at not that Ngano couldn't knock him out, but no. if <clears throat> Minikov got a hold of him and, and was wrestling, Look at his ground game is he's a he's a fantastic wrestler. And yeah. you don't see big guys that are great wrestlers all the time, and his submission game is really good, so it'd be a tough fight.
1: Yeah, yeah I think I think the two though that most people would want to talk about it'd be AJ McKee and Volkanovski. that'd be a great that'd fight. That'd be great. I th- uh, there'd be actually three and then the I said the Usman and Amosov that to me would be a phenomenal fight and then I obviously I would go with Nemkov and Yohan and, and Bloch yeah. those yep. those three you fights said... I think right now would be the three fights that would would be I think
2: the closest as well as the most competitive next next question from Warchild question for both would uh, what would be your advice for Antonia Shevchenko going forward do you guys Antonina. think Nina she... Antonina, Antonina. Yes not antonio oh, I, I'm not I thought it was antonio okay, like uh do you guys That's think okay. i she... screw up names all the time oh, yeah. too yeah. there dave we're not yeah, sad, sad that he can't read Go ahead. <laughs> do you guys think she should keep pursuing a career in mma yeah absolutely it, it,
0: like she's a good fighter the problem is is she's not her sister and people because of the last name they kind of expect a lot and then, you know, as, as, you know, fights go on, you know, she has her strengths and she has her weaknesses. Her, her sister does not have a weakness when it comes to the fight game. She's got very good wrestling. Now she doesn't, she doesn't wrestle shooting for legs, but she gets into a lot of Greco Roman type wrestling with body locks and clinch work and sweeping, you know, she'll use the, a sweep of the leg, which is not Greco, but. All the setups for it are, and she just she's really good with her wrestling, and she's really good with her ground attack. That's where they really you know separate themselves. You know they both have good stand up. I'm not saying that I don't, I don't think Valentina's isn't better than her sisters, but it's the ground that you can definitely see a big major shift between the two. And so she just needs to work on her ground game more and and become more solid in her ability to remain on her feet when she wants. To take somebody down and be in the top position if she wants or to be able to get herself off of her back because she doesn't do a good job of getting herself off of her back she she ends up getting stuck there and when you're when your back is flat on the canvas you know bad things are
1: going to happen yeah dave pull up the rankings and where she's at if she's still in the top 10 which i believe she is
2: isn't oh, she yeah. no um, no i don't think just
1: no sister, she's not okay right? Yeah, I mean, look, there's still money to be made. That's the thing. There's still money to be made. They still have the connection in terms of with her sister. I think I think you you just keep trying to live your dream. She's what is how old is she? She's not old. She's Yeah, she's not that old. So I, mean, I don't think she's she's probably like what, 30, 31? Yeah. You know, so somewhere around there. Look, there's still time. I think when you get into that 34, she's 35 She's oh she's 36. 36 oh never mind she's she's older than her sister. wow yeah yeah so i mean maybe it might be time it might be time like when you start putting that 36 years old in there and now the the younger the younger females now are starting to to get a lot better and they're educating themselves in the game a lot more and a lot at a, a lot younger age um yeah she may have her hands full you know so um I don't know. It's it's a tough decision to make. She I think she still she still has a couple more fights left in her, but it's hard to come back from two losses. If she loses the third, I could probably start saying, "Okay." You know, it depends on how she loses as well. So, she's lost her last two one by triangle and one by punches. So, if she loses again by a finish, then you probably want to start saying, "Okay, maybe it's time to wrap it up."
2: Next. Next question from Andrew Hollis. Question for both Josh and John. Have you, have either of you been a cornerman, in MMA fight? You always seem to have the answers, quote-unquote answers, to what fighters corners should be seeing. Is this something you would want to do in the future?
0: <laughs> yes, it's the worst position in the world. And Josh will agree with me on this because, look, when you're, when you're the person in the corner, that means that you have been training with the person, uh, getting them ready for the fight and you you should be game planning you should be coming up with an idea of how your fighter can be effective against this opponent and stuff and as soon as that referee starts the fight and and your your fighter goes out there it could be awesome if they start doing the things that you have planned on and they're carrying out that game plan and they're just fighting well it's really a nice thing to be able to sit there and and give them little tells on where what they need to do, but they're really doing a good job and, and performing well. Or it can be the worst thing in the world because they do nothing that you plan for. Everything that you plan for is out the window. They're they're doing stuff that you go, what are you doing? And there's nothing you can do about it. You're just gonna yeah. sit there and just like be mystified. And finally, they'll get back to the corner, and you'll say, "Excuse me have you Have you figured out?" what we were doing all this time i need you to get back to this and this and this and you tell them right and then they go back out and they do the same thing and you go this is not going to go well for us
1: yeah there's certain guys that i had cornered it was like playing a video game if i used the control stick and it was like boom it was just i was controlling them with every word i said and they just did it to a t and it, it was wonderful Then there was other ones that didn't listen to a damn thing you said and they made the fight a lot harder than it should have been. But they fought they fought the way that they wanted to fight. And sometimes they won and sometimes they didn't. Um, I had several fighters that I had cornered that the most frustrating part for me was when you knew how talented they were. And they listened to you up until the point where they got tired or they just they didn't have they hadn't put the guy away yet. And then all of a sudden, you just saw them turtling into their shell. And you knew once that happened, it was over. There was nothing I could say to them that would get them out of that. If they didn't highlight real knock them out, or if they didn't beat them up, or just dominate and control every aspect of the fight, and the fight started getting tough, they just wilted a little bit. And then the fight was taken over by the opponent. And there was nothing you could say. You could just tell when a fighter shut down. And when that happens, it's the most miserable feeling as a coach in a corner. It's just like, damn, it's horrible (laughs) because there's nothing you can do to help them. There's not one thing that will get through to them. So, but yeah, I've cornered a lot of our guys and a lot of females as well. I've cornered a lot of them as well. And in terms of females that have trained with us, and it's yeah, it's it's sometimes tough and a lot of times it's good because we came from such a good camp and a good gym, and then you had a lot of good, you had a lot of good wins. weren't always that way (laughs) weren't always that way let me just tell you all right aladdin
2: aladdin 18 asks question for both josh and john uh what was the craziest move you've seen someone do in the cage that actually worked
0: rolling thunder baby just had the (laughs) guy that did it in bellator david guyon man he knocked out uh that either that or the tornado well, either the tornado, a tornado kick or Ray Daniels with the tornado punch. He actually wound up, did the tornado thing, and then followed through with a punch that knocked the guy out. I mean, there, there's so many great knockouts and everything. But when you see someone do something that just shouldn't have worked but it does, you got to go, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I think what, what – are they trying to say which one we've seen in person? Because I haven't seen a whole lot of them done in person. You had the
0: Ray Daniels uh, tornado punch.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but to me, like, it looked like he just spun, the guy got froze, and then he landed the punch. It, it, like, don't get me wrong, I thought it was spectacular. Um, I would have got dizzy spinning that many times in the air. <laughs> and when I would have landed, I would have thrown my punch. i have been off balance. The guy would have got my back and probably choked me out. So just like, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of like those type of things would happen. I, I think I, I really couldn't tell you which ones I've seen in person though. I mean, I've seen like flying arm bars. I mean, I but I've I had like the Sulev stretch. I had, I, I've seen it on TV, but I didn't see it in person. I've seen the rolling thunder, but I've seen it on TV.
2: I haven't seen it in person. It doesn't say in person. It just says you've seen someone doing the cage.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like now with the internet, like we can see them all. That's the thing, you know. It kind of takes away from it seeing it in person. It's just that has that that excitement of seeing it in person. I was there for that, you know. I was there for that. Like, I don't know. I was. I haven't been privy to any of those cool, really cool things. Anyway, if you're gonna say, if you're gonna talk I, again,
0: I've I've seen way too many knockouts in my life. Been very close to to a lot of them. And uh, he's seen some very neat, you know, Gaston by uh, by Balanos, Balanos had the spinning elbow attack that was, you know, caught his guy and just froze him. And, you know, he faced off. It's pretty impressive. But you know, if you're gonna say the, the 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 knockout, it really wasn't a knockout as far as it didn't put the opponent out. But the shot that MVP hit Cyborg Santos with that broke the front of his skull. Look, that was as hard a shot as i had ever seen. I mean, it sounded, you know, if you ever go to the, you know, ballpark and you're watching batting practice, or you go to the, the all-star game and they have the home run derby and you hear what it's like when a ball is hit cleanly and that crack, that's exactly what the sound was like when his knee hit that forehead area of Santos. And man, I can tell you as a referee you're you're very you know accustomed to seeing lumps, bumps, hematomas, a lot of swelling. You're not used to seeing dents. Okay, when you see and, I, and I've seen a lot of dents in people because I was a police officer and when you see people get stomped and stuff you see some bad things as far as what the human head will do. But and you know in mma you don't see dents and when i turned him over there was a giant dent in the middle of his forehead it was not a good thing so that was the yeah. hardest hit i think i'd ever seen that's insane <laughs> next
2: Nate jammer jr asks ufc 31 question did randy couture really win the first pedro uh rizzo <laughs> fight uh, i had pedro winning two three and five you refed it john how would you have scored it as a judge you know, at the time, I,
0: I really thought that, uh, Pedro won the fight, you know, as the referee there, I thought, you know, obviously Randy killed him in the first round and you could have, you know, a lot of people could have said it could have been a 10, eight cause he was smashing him up against the cage and he was trying to get the finish. And I was mean enough to not give it to him. So, uh, you know, look at you got, you got to hurt your opponent. And, and although he was landing at times, Pedro was still fighting, uh, He took some massive leg kicks in that fight. I mean, nasty. Yuck. And, I mean, it was brutal. But I just look at that fight. At the time, I can tell you, I I actually thought that Pedro had won it. I thought he had won it 48-47. But the judges gave it to Couture. They were the judges. I was the referee.
2: There you go, Trent. Uh, There you go, Nate Nate Jammer. Trent Denzel asks question for Big John. Though out your th- sorry throughout your years, it's, it's two separate words. I can throughout your years uh, as a referee. What were the two most badass stare downs inside the octagon?
0: Inside the octagon, wow. Um, I don't even
2: pay attention to
0: that, so I'd be really bad in in giving you anything because I always I always felt like it was like. Eh, you know i would go you know because they we bring the fighters to the center and stuff the very first time we did it was ken shamrock against tito ortiz zufa had bought uh, the ufc they had had it for about eight shows and that was a big show and they decided that was something they wanted and a lot of it was because of what ken brings to a fight as far as he makes you believe that he hates the person that he's gonna, you know, destroy him and stuff. He was a very good salesman. UFC, of the UFC
1: forty, right? Forty Vendetta. Yeah. Yep. Vendetta. Yeah, Vendetta.
0: You got it, man. Yeah. And uh, so Micronus. that was that was <laughs> that, <laughs> that was Micronus. That was the one, you know, I would say, like, I remember because most of them, yeah, you know, I would sit there and I would, you know, quickly try to say, you know, hey, gun over the instructions in the back, protect yourself at all times, obey my commands at all times. If you know, fight clean, fight hard, fight fair. If you want to touch gloves, touch them now. Go back to your corners. Good luck to both of you. And I, I never even really thought about looking at them. So I would say that's the one I kind of noticed since it was the first one. So I'm going to say Tito Ortiz versus Ken Shamrock was a good one. Sorry that I didn't notice the others.
1: Josh,
2: do you have anything to add there?
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be like I thought the – I think it was the BJ Penn-Matt Hughes second fight. They had a good stare down. It was, that was like, at
2: 63.
1: Yeah, I think it was a good stare down there. See that? It might have been the f- micro dose. It might have <laughs> been the first. It might have been the first one, but I think it was. It might have been the first one. Anyways, it was one or two. I know it was UFC 46 was the first one. Yeah, yeah, because I was on that card. That's when I fought Hermes and he was there. Yeah, um, that fight happened. I think it, I think it was UFC 46. They stared down and then BJ. Yeah, because I think Matt Matt was talking a lot of trash. Like, oh, this guy's too small. He's you know this and that. So. He's not going to beat me. And yeah, he couldn't win it. He couldn't win at 55, but I maybe mean, he's going to win at 70.
2: Yeah. I can't find it. Good. Just trying to find it for you. Yeah, I thought it was a good stare. I think like Matt was smiling at him and BJ was giving him the nod. Next question is from Ken Boone. Either of you know the UFC penalty for breaking a contract. Let's say Bones wants to fight in Bellator. Will Dana take his purse only or will he sue Bellator for a percent of the event? Thanks. <laughs> Go ahead, Josh.
1: Well, first off, he would sue Bellator, and the fight would never happen.
0: Yeah, Bellator would never do the fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, they would never do it. And then they, he would sue the shit out of Bellator. Let me give you guys a reminder. Strikeforce had Frank Shamrock under contract. Frank Shamrock then went to Elite XC and fought Hensel Gracie. Then Strikeforce went and sued Elite XC and ended up winning. And so what they did was they worked a deal out. Where they did co promotions on Showtime. And that's how this whole deal that's how Strike Force ended up getting to a big network like Showtime is they ended up suing because Frank Shamrock went and took that fight. So that's how it all and then Elite XC eventually lost all their money and fucking went away. And then Strikeforce just absorbed all the fighters that they wanted out of Elite XE, which one of those was KJ Nunes, Nick Diaz, and Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler, a couple other fighters that were part of there, yeah. Villaseñor, I think it was Joey Villaseñor, a couple other guys that were out of there, but yeah, they were all with the lead XC at the time. And guess what? Those fighters all came over to strike. Gina Corrado. Gina Corrado, that's right. I forgot about that's that. Right, yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, um, so yeah, no, the, the, the fight would never happen because they would the they would lock it all up in court before the fight ever did happen.
0: That's it. Nice. Just true. Nice. you you, you, you got to figure. Look at it this way. John can try to, you know, if I'm saying he's, he could try to go anywhere, but he signed a contract, and they're gonna, they're gonna always put an injunction in against that promotion that was going to try to allow John to fight. The UFC would quickly put an injunction in against it, you know, saying that uh, their property is being uh, uh, stolen from them, basically, and stuff. So it's never gonna happen. Bellator would never even talk to John about a contract unless they knew he was clear of his contract. The same as the UFC's not going to talk to someone you know, Michael Chandler was you know, coming to an end. The UFC's not going to talk to him until they realize he's free game then they'll talk to him.
1: Yeah.
2: Next question is from Jason Michaels who says, hashtag and still, Josh, as a fighter if you if you could choose only one would you, one have dogs in your hands? Two, be tall, long, and lanky. Or three, be a junkyard dog? Well, let me answer this real quick. Three, I'm already a junkyard dog. I fucking know that.
1: Have you not seen my trilogy fights with Gilbert? <laughs> fucking A. Have you not seen my fight with fucking Tony Ferguson I know it's what he wants. Hermes Franca. And then uh, I'm kind of already tall, long, and lanky. I'm 5'10 and a half, almost 5'11. I know there's a lot of taller ones in there, but I would have rather had dogs in my hands, man. I fucking had no power my whole career. I could fucking... I could beat you over the head with a bat. and Couldn't? That's why I had to kick so many times because I fucking had no power in my hands. That's why I was a such. That's why I kicked all the damn time. Yeah, I would have preferred dogs in my hands, man. I could have won a lot more fights.
2: <laughs> Come uh, on, man. you
0: had some power. I saw some knockouts there. Yeah, against who? <laughs> you just showed you just you, you just sent me one the other day. That was against Allen, wasn't it? Oh, uh, Adam Lin, Lynn. Adam, Adam Lin. Lynn, yeah, that's the, what it was. The Playboy okay. Mansion. I was thinking. And, I knew yeah. it was at the Playboy Mansion, but.
2: Maybe we'd have seen you knock out Eves if you'd actually landed that spinning backfist.
1: Oh, baby. Possibly.
2: Uh, Possibly. Next one from Nenad Jovanov. Question for both Big John and Josh. What do you think how Gegard Massassi matches up with Adesanya?
0: There you go. I already said that
1: one. Yeah, he just talked about it. I, I think, like you said, stylistically they match up well. I think Gegard, if he gets to the ground, I think he wins, and I think he wins easily. Asanya, even though Gagar, like John was saying, gagar has got a ton of kickboxing fights, but that's not quite at the level of, of Izzy. Izzy is just fine-tuned to a different level. Now, Gagar will be able to handle it in the beginning, I think, for the first round, but as the fight goes on in a five-round fight, he's going to have a hard time. He's going to have a hard time with that reach and the range, the style of, this, of his kicks, the power of his kicks. I think all of those things are going to play a big factor. I also think he would actually take a look and see how Douglas Lima attacked his calf, and if he was able to go back to that, is he being the bigger guy? Is he having you know hard kicks? Is he being able to get there probably quicker than Douglas Lima? I think it would have more of an effect earlier than it did um, against Gegard in the fight with uh, Lima. <clears throat> but on the feet, uh, on the feet, Izzy I think can win it. Doesn't mean that it wouldn't be close. but I think Izzy would win it on the ground. I don't think it'd be close at all. But it, but would have to get in there. And the fact that Izzy's so tall, it'd be a hard-fought ch- hard takedown every single round to get him there. So if he didn't get him down there in the first two rounds easily, he'd be wasting a lot of energy. on the ground, Gagar's fucking really good. If you don't believe me, go back and watch the, the Hotfield Lovato Jr. fight. Lovato Jr. had him mounted, had him all these things, and couldn't finish him. And then Gagar got on top of him and did some work. And when you're talking like how good Lovato is, Lovato came out and said... I didn't realize he was that good on the ground. He's like, sure, I had so many good positions, but I couldn't do anything on top. He's like, sure, I could threaten things, but I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything without losing the position. And then if you go back and watch how he won the title against, um, uh, what's his name? Rafael Cavallo. When he just took him down and just dismantled him and just flattened him out and just smashed him. I mean, it was just devastating. That's how he won the title. I mean, like that's that's kind of how I could see the potential fight going against someone like Izzy. Don't get me wrong, Izzy's you know better than Cavaille, but I think that I think that Izzy would, I think Gagar would have a good chance, a really good chance of finishing him if it got to the ground. Well put. I think that I, I look at it and say
0: <sighs> each has their advantages, and the, Izzy's definitely you know, although Gegard's good on his feet is he's got the advantage. You got to look and say he is the slicker overall, better kickboxer. Uh, he just takes better angles at times and he's, he's just more dynamic with his standup, but go to the ground. Look at, there's a, there's a huge advantage to Gagar. Now the real question is, can he get it to the ground? If he does and there's time on the clock, Israel is in trouble. Uh, Gaygard is that good. I mean, Gegard is really good. He's high level. So really depends on who can keep the fight or put the fight where they want. Can Gagard put it where he wants on the ground or can Izzy keep it on the feet? That's who wins yeah. the fight.
2: Next question from Jeremiah Brown. Question for both. What do you guys think of a matchup between Usman and Amosov? I personally think it's the most competitive fight in all of MMA. You guys ah! Yeah. Yeah. We
1: just talked about that in one of the other fan questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep driving this thing home. I would love to see this fight. Look, I had said I'd also there were some other fights I would love to have seen the Patrici, uh, sorry the Patricio and and Volkanovski. Uh, Vol- uh, Volkanovski fight. That'd be a fun fight. But now that AJ is the champion, I think that'd be a fun fight as well. Uh, but I really believe the fight to make would be Yaroslav Amosov, who's 26 and 0. His wrestling pedigree is phenomenal. If you talk to anybody at an American Top Team, he trains. With all the 185 pound wrestlers. And he and they struggle to get him down. If they can get him down. And he sometimes majority of the time will be able to take them down. And if you look at what he did with Logan Storley in that fight. That was just a phenomenal display of scrambling. And just jockeying for position. Every single thing. For someone who really has never wrestled in his life. Outside of being training in Sambo. And working in, in Jiu Jitsu. And, and, and boxing. And being an MMA fighter. That's so impressive to take someone who, like with Logan Storley, was a six time, six time state champ out of the University, or what a, not the University what uh, about Ed out Ruth? of South Dakota. Took down, oh yeah, he took down Ed Ruth, hip tossed him, took him down several times. Three time national champ out of Penn State. He's good, man. He's really good in the wrestling category. I think he'd have a phenom. It'd be a phenomenal matchup between the two of them.
0: Look at twenty six and zero compared to nineteen and one. Both of them are just
1: animals and
0: and uzman has just gotten better and better and better and when his his one loss was early in his career i want to say it was like his second fight it was just way back there but he is so good but so is amazon so i think it would be like i'm gonna i'll I'll tell you straight out there is the colby covington uzman fight coming up i've already said i think that uzman's gonna win it I could be wrong, but I do think that Amazon versus Usman is a more competitive fight than Colby versus Usman.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Next. All right, Michael Forte asks, when it comes to just resumes, does Dustin Poirier have the best one in UFC? He is corner times two, Gaethje, Eddie, Max times two, Hooker, and Pez. What? John, I think because you see such
1: a great resume from him, is because he's been in two of the toughest weight classes in, that's ever existed. He was in 145 when it was Max and Connor and and all the guys that were down there at the time, and then with Jose, what was it, Jose Aldo? Uh, yeah, with Jose Aldo, uh-huh. and then yeah, and then and then going up to 155, and then he jumped right into the fucking fire when he started facing guys like Eddie Alvarez and Gaethje and all these guys. I mean, like does he have the best resume? I can't say he has the best resume, but it's fucking right up there at the top. I mean, he's got to be, I mean, he's fought everybody in the who's who, and especially at the, the highest level in both weight classes.
0: Oh, look at He's up there. Eddie Alvarez, another one that's up there. Take a look at all the people that he's fought. There's, there's certain guys that they seem to never say no. You know, they just take on these guys time after time after time. Uh, Robbie Lawler's a guy guy that's taking on a ton of tough guys. He's got a lot of losses, but you're going to get that when you're facing top flight competition. So I would say that Dustin Poirier could put his resume against anyone's as it being impressive. Super impressive in who he has competed against and who he's got wins against.
2: Next question comes from Sam. How does a fighter's height impact their takedown defense? For example, better framing when against the fence, but weaker one leg balance. Question mark. Well, I disagree with the weaker one leg
1: balance because you're taller, is because it's harder to hike that leg up to get the takedown. My toes are always on the ground. I've I've wrestled with guys that are six three and that are my weight at one fifty five or you know one seventy. You can't lift them. You got you've got to. How do you get it? You try to suck their feet out from underneath them. when you do that, though, like they have a wider base when you go to suck them out, they just post their hand and then hop, pull one leg out and stand back up. Because when they post their arm, their arm is as long as your leg. And so they just stand right. They basically post their hand and they're still at like hip level or a little bit higher than you. And they just clear one leg out and get back into hopping into one leg. And they start defending with the whizzer and framing you away underneath the chin. They're, they're, They're harder to take down. Now, they're probably easier to get in on, but they're harder to take down and control too. Once you hit the ground... They're able to start shoving on your head and pushing your body down, pushing your, your head down their body, which means your arms and everything else go and they start wiggling their hips out and they start clearing their legs, getting back to their feet because they're so long. Once they stiff arm you, there's nothing you can do. You can't get past it. You've got to either release and then come back in and by then, sometimes they get back up to their feet. And so it's, it's a lot harder to take down a taller person than people realize. So... I'm not going to say that it's easier to take them down because they're hopping on one foot. You might be able to get in on the body lock, but how are you going to lift them to get them up off their feet? If you get them on a double leg, if you go to lift, their toes still touch when you go to lift because they're just as tall as their, and they drag their hips on the ground. Th- yeah. Tough. It becomes a battle back and forth. And like I said, I trained with guys that were 6'3 and they they were the hardest sons of bitches to take down. Normally, what <laughs> I would do is I would go to the crotch, go deep ass on the backside and lift. And what I did, almost like a Turk, is you kind of like lean them forward. So they had to post their hands on the mat to stop themselves from hitting their face and then try to jump onto their back right away. That, to me, was the best, probably the most effective and the best way to take him down. I I would kind of talk to to DC about that going into his second John Jones fight because he had struggled to take him down the first time. And I felt like he had a lot of success trying to take him down in that second fight a little bit more than he did in the first fight going deep ass and lifting and kind of taking him forward. But John's just a, a fucking athlete, man. You know, um, it's going to be hard to take guys like that down, no matter what you do. So that's kind of my take
2: on the tall, lanky guys, taking them down.
0: I'm saying (laughs) I agree with you.
2: Good. Good. Next, next Next one from Devin Shaw. Question for Josh. What cardio routine did you use in camp to get yourself fight ready? And would you do anything different today?
1: No, I wouldn't do anything different. I felt like my cardio was some of the best in the game. I think the... What I did was it really depended on how my body was feeling, but every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday mornings, I'd run sprints at the uh, at the track. So I would do um full 400 yard sprints or 400 yard 400 meter sprints, and I would do six of those. And then I would do I would first start off with two 880 sprints, so a mile of sprints would be two 880 sprints as fast as I could run two laps, and then I would take a minute break, and then I would go and do another two laps and do it as fast as I could. Take a minute break, and then I would do six 400 sprints and take a minute break in between each one of those. And then I would base it off of what my times were. So if my times started to get better, I started getting, say I'd run a full lap of 400 meters, I like can say 59 to 102, 104, somewhere in there. As as I got better into camp, my rest time, I would shorten it. So if I was, um, say I was eight weeks out, I would start off with a minute, like my recovery would be a minute, but then by week two, like say I was eight weeks out, by six weeks out, I would shorten it to say 50 seconds and then I'd you know do that again and then I would go back in two weeks later, so a month out, I would shorten it to 35, 30 to 35 seconds and then I would, I would continue to do that as I got closer to the fight. My rest time, I would try and shorten my rest time down to 15 to 20 seconds before I'd start my next sprint. And I always try to make sure that my full lap sprints stayed under a minute 20. So if that was the case, then I knew I was in phenomenal shape. And then the other days that I had off, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which weren't really off, I'd run anywhere between four to five miles just at a nice, easy pace. Four to five miles on, say, Monday, Tuesday, or Monday, Wednesday, I mean. And then Friday, I would do the bike or I'd switch it up. I'd go Monday, I would do the bike, and then I'd run four to five miles on Wednesday, Friday. And then I always do an active recovery on Sunday, just like a little hike or a walk or, you know, do stairs nice and easy. Nothing fast, nothing hard. Yoga class. Sometimes I take a yoga class. That was my cardio routine. Uh, I'm just telling you right now, I'm exhausted. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. I would every once in a while, like I said, if my body was real beat up, I'd use a pre-core. And uh, hey, Fitch and I came up with this routine. I would do 22 minutes. I do a minute sprint on the pre-core at level like eleven, twelve, and then I would rest for thirty seconds, and then I do another minute sprint at level twelve, and I drop the level down when I was resting. I drop the level down to like four or five. So you're playing with the buttons a lot, but the whole sprint routine was twenty-two sec, twenty-two minutes. It was a minute sprint, thirty-second rest, minute sprint, thirty seconds rest for twenty-two minutes straight and then I'd hop off and be done for the night. That's when my body was real banged up and I would end up probably doing that instead of doing the track sprints once a week as I got closer to the fight because I was just I was too much. It was just too much for me. Did you ever pull a hamstring doing the sprints? No, never. Never. No, I spent a lot of time stretching um after training. I always spent a lot of time stretching after training. I was never super flexible though. I don't I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I was never super flexible.
2: Next. Yeah. All right, Abdul Rahman Ali asks, what do you guys think about a fight between Tony and Connor when Connor recover from his injury? <laughs> See, I think it's you. Like,
0: I, I want to say, I love Tony. He's slowing down. I don't think it's a real good uh, match on the feet for him, on the ground. He could do okay uh he's slick with his submissions he could he could actually catch connor pretty quick uh in some ways he's got a hell of a darse um uh, but stand-up i don't know i don't know if he could handle connor in the stand-up
1: yeah see i look at it this way i don't think connor after all the time off when he comes back he wasn't the same when he fought dustin Bolt. and i know he's fighting the number one guy i think at that weight class at the time but i don't think when he comes back it's going to be another year before he comes back. I think Tony has a good chance of beating him. I think Tony beats him on the ground if he can get him down. I think Tony can I think Tony may take some big time shots in the first round, but as the fight goes on, Tony's Tony's been proven to be a dog. He look when even though he lost to Charles Oliveira and who did he lose Gaethje, he was still in there fucking fighting his ass off. Conor doesn't have Conor doesn't have that fight like that in the later round. I don't get me wrong. You look at the Nate Diaz situation. And I, I I have a lot of respect for he was a dog in that fight. But if you put him in there, Tony's nasty, dirty elbows, like he's gonna take that fight in areas that Nate Diaz doesn't take the fight to. Nate Diaz is not a big elbower against the fence. Nate Diaz is not he's not gonna gritty you up. Like he's gonna step back and out punch you and output and all those things. But Tony got that in him too. You know, so I think in those scenarios, I really I honestly believe it's gonna be a good fight. But if I'm going to lean towards somebody, only because the – especially because of the amount of time that Connors had off with the broken leg. And then before that, it wasn't like he was an active fighter. He came back for two fights in a short period of time. And I think he had the cowboy fight in there, what, a year before or something like that. Just not active enough, not training enough. And if you look at him now, he's like kind of puffy, kind of big, like he's muscular. He's got that bodybuilding body, but it's not effective for MMA. And so I think I I would lean more towards Tony, but here's the bottom line Connor ain't taking that fight. Connor's like, nah, you're coming off three losses. Whoever, who knows if he wins his next one, if Tony wins his next one by the time Connor comes back, he ain't taking that fight. He's looking for a money fight. He's looking for a big name fight. He's looking for a money fight. He ain't taking that fight. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's it's kind of a mute point. Next.
2: All right, two, uh, two more. Two more. Okay. Well, we only have three more. So. Okay, so three more. Okay, three right. more. uh Sean mclaughlin asks, "What happens if an interim title fight ends in a draw?" <laughs> no, if it's a draw, no one no one gets the title. It's pretty You're simple. Fucked. If you <laughs>
0: if, if you have a, if you if you have a title fight and it's a world title fight, and there's someone that had the belt before, and it's a draw. They that person keeps the belt. If you have a title fight where neither fighter has the belt be it interim or not and it is a draw nobody gets the
1: belt let me remind everyone carl uno and bj penn for the lightweight title or lightweight tournament finals that they had there was a draw it was a draw, no one got the title, and then that's what eventually led to the UFC getting rid of the light, the, the lightweight division for a couple of years. So Eves and I fought shortly after, and so did uh we fought all the other guys, Hermes and all the other guys, but they eventually were like, look, this is just too much, man. We're hemorrhaging money. We need to go ahead and keep this shit moving.
2: <laughs> Next. All right. Uh, Nod118 asks, question for Josh. What was it like to train with Frank Shamrock? Is it true he's got a big ego like Ken? <laughs> um, look, I don't know so much about the ego in terms of the same as Ken.
1: I don't know. I don't know Ken that well. I know Ken every time I've talked to him, he's been a very nice guy. So I can't speak on Ken. Frank Shamrock had a huge ego, but that's not, that's nobody's going to deny that. I think even Frank probably won't deny it. He had a huge ego. Um, but he was also had an ego that was well-deserved at the time when he was fighting guys like John Lober and Tito Ortiz and he was beating them. You know, Kevin Jackson, armbar in seconds. I mean, like, these are fights, like, when you look at where he was at the time, like, he had a he had a reason to have a big ego. He was good. His style of submissions and his style of the way he fought, you know, it worked for him, didn't work for everyone. Um, But what was it like to train with him? He was an asshole sometimes. You know, he's the guy that, like, because he didn't like me, he would choke me, and then I'd, you know, I'd tap you, like, no, no, work your way out. And then I'd go to try to escape, and then he'd choke me again until I – and so I'd tap again. He's like, no, no, work your way out. So he'd keep doing that over and over. And so he was kind of one of those guys, you know, and you know, and his whole testing that, that whole lion's den type testing, he brought it to AKA and did it then for his Frank team, Sham- his team shamrock, you know, fight team. He did it. Then it was like 200 squats, 200 pushups, 200 sit-ups, 200 burpees, 200 everything. Right. And then he had you go in there and spar a fresh guy every two minutes for like 15 minutes. He'd bring in someone new It was like one round of kickboxing, one round of uh, box, one round of wrestling and MMA or jiu-jitsu or whatever, and then one round of full MMA. And you were exhausted after doing all the other shit, jumping rope and everything. So he was kind of a jerk, but you have to also put it in terms of the time frame of the sport. They thought that meant being tough. In reality, it meant being stupid. You know, we look back at it now, you're like, you're an idiot if you train that way. You know, but back then it was like, it really came down to whoever had the best cardio back then and could make the other guy break was the better fighter. You know, and Frank, Frank in his mind, he already had like him and Javier had already came up with that game plan. Frank had a gas tank for days. I mean, he was a guy that I kid you not, it would come in off, not training for six months, come in, he would grapple and train really fucking hard to the point where he'd turn over, throw up on the mat and then just scoot away from the throw up and then keep training And then turn over and throw up and they'd scoot away from the throw up some more and then eventually clean it up after. There'd be like throw up piles along the mat because he would just keep training and not stop training and he would just keep going. It was a mental thing for him. He had to mentally break through that he could do it and just let everyone know he could do it. You can't break me. He was one of those guys. And so I learned a lot from him in terms of never stop moving. That was one of the things. Once you stop moving, the fight's done. You can't stop moving. And you don't realize you're tired until you stop moving, so don't stop moving. And then, yeah, those are the things, like, those are important things. And conditioning was always your friend. Like, I knew that already going into it, but understanding what the cardio routine was, the sprints on the pre core the sprints at the track, the sprints, you know, and then the long-distance running, putting in the work – that was, that was something that you could witness with him because you knew that he was always in shape. and that He wasn't always in shape, but even when he wasn't in shape, he gritted through it. That said a lot about him, and I think, I think a lot of younger fighters, especially myself, I picked that up from him. I didn't pick up a whole lot of other stuff, but a lot
2: of what I learned was from Bob Cook and Javier Mendez. Next. All right. Last one from Manuel Delgado who asks, would you guys agree that Joe Lowson versus Jim Miller was an all-time great fight? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got in the question. <laughs> Maybe it means both combined? Okay. Both combined great
0: fights. I mean, <laughs> those guys put it up out, out there. Uh, Joe Lozon got lost a lot of blood one of them maybe in both but i mean just both guys incredible fighters as far as heart jim miller has always proven that he's just a tough you know just hard-nosed guy and joe lozon lozon had a hell of a ground game people don't don't understand how good he was on the ground stand-up so wise a little bit you know limited but okay you know he could he could defend himself he could he could strike but on the ground, he caused people just headaches with what he could do down there and the positioning changes that he could come up with. He was slick as hell. And then when those guys got in together, there was some uh, there was some ground and pound situations on both where they both had their moments. and uh,
1: both Both fights
0: were fantastic.
1: He exploded onto the scene with his win over Jens Pulver. As I right. Recall,
0: right. oh yeah and out, they, knocked- they gave that fight you know trying to bring jens back and give him an easy fight that didn't happen
1: <laughs> no it was it was exploding all the sounds like damn who is this kid oh. you know and, and jen's came in thinking like oh i'm gonna just get through this kid and move on to the you know getting back up to the title contention and he got knocked out right in the first oh. round Yep. Yeah, I remember, I remember the. Knock. I remember him knocking him out. I wasn't sure if he jumped on a submission though, and finished him that way, or if he not finished knocking him. Uh, the fight ended with a knockout.
0: I was thinking. Yeah. Him
1: over, out. Uh, overall, th- those were overall his fights with uh, Jim Miller were phenomenal, man. And Jim Miller is an absolute stud. He's um, he's always been a stud. He's been a great fighter. Uh, loved what his fight to me with uh, Pat Healy was a great fight. Jim Miller and Pat Healy, the two of them yeah. were just scrambling back and forth and. And Pat was able to get the advantage over him on the uh, not on that fight. But I mean, Joel is on an absolute phenomenal fighter as well. So both of those guys. <clears throat> true, uh, true, I, I would call I would call them legends, man. They've been around for a long time and doing great stuff. All right, guys, go to pro slash Wayne In. Use the promo code Wayne in, picking up one of our shirts. Also hit the subscribe button down below on our channel here and enjoy all of our content as well as hit the little bell and when you hit that bell it notifies you when we drop this show because this show is a QA. this show will be dropped separately from our other shows that we have that we have done this week for you guys so make sure you guys hit that bell so you know when the new product is being dropped hopefully you guys enjoyed it and big john take us away man and get some get some claritin buddy you sound horrible Dude,
0: man my noise, i'm going nuts here this is horrible yeah. <laughs> but uh one thing i wanted to say i think i on that, Joe Lozon, Jim—I Miller. think Jim Miller actually got the decisions on both, but I thought that Joe Lozon had won one. So, gotcha. Yeah, I think it was something I and watch him. I thought it's been a long won. time since I watched those fights. Time. Fantastic, but to everyone out there, hope we answered your questions. Hope you have a good time with this, and the Punk and I will see you.